Oh, my God. 
five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Oh, 
Oh, 
Shabbos, can we come and laugh? 
J.M. and the A.M. Friday. November the 16th, the 8th of Kislev. Good morning, everybody. Tarif Shabbos Parshas Vayetze with candle lighting time at 4.17. 4.17, your official candle lighting time. So uh, 4.17, that's correct. 4.17, the official candle lighting time here on this uh, Erev Shabbos. Uh, Tuesday, we'll be up at Yeshiva University. Big day. Big day in the upcoming week for the Skyline Conference Championship banner raising. Uh, can't wait for that. And big hello to everybody up at YU. Uh, Thursdays, of course, Thanksgiving. We'll be here in the morning. Um, uh, a lot of people would be off on Thanksgiving morning, wouldn't they? But we'll be here at JM and AM. So make sure to be tuned in. Uh, Shabbos medley done by David Dax. You heard the rabbi's sons with Shabbos Kodesh. Vesecha Zena is brand new from Benny Friedman. Eitan Freilach with Yavo Shalom. Eretz Yisrael, that's Ohad. Great brand new song off of Bashat Tova. Bring it home. That was eighth day. And of course, Regesh with Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. For those who are lucky enough to hear the early part of the show, we had a little bit of a technical glitch that prevented some of you from hearing the uh, first few minutes of JM in the AM. But uh, thank you, Avrami, and thank you to... Uh, our wonderful staff for being alert. In this case, lucky and alert. <laughs> and we are back here on on live at JM in the AM. 39 degrees outside with 94% humidity. Windsor West at 15 miles an hour. Morning rain with a high of 47. In this area, it should come to an end sometime between 10 and 11 this morning. Clear tonight, low 36. And I guess the reward for the crazy weather yesterday is a mostly sunny Shabbos with a high temperature of 48 degrees. We shall lie at 56. We're at 39 here in New York City, where it's very slippery, very wet, uh, but nothing compared to what was going on yesterday. And I've asked uh, Miriam L. Wallach, uh, in addition to being another eyewitness to what went on yesterday here in New York, also somebody who we joke sometimes about her uh, expertise when it comes to social media, but she has seen and heard even more stories than any of us have heard about what what went on yesterday in the New York, New Jersey area because of the uh, storm that they call Avery. Miriam L. Wallach, Boker Tov, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nachum. Good morning. Good morning. It's funny. We finished the live lunch broadcast literally uh, just as the storm was starting, as the first flakes were coming down in New York at 1 p.m. Eastern time yesterday. Who would have believed what would be happening about five, six hours later, huh? Yeah, it was completely um, shocking, but I think it took every it took everyone by surprise, including the people who were responsible for uh, the vast modes of mass transit that exists in the New York area. Just to give everybody out of New York a perspective, they actually had to close the entrances to Port Authority. That's how many people were waiting for buses. The George Washington Bridge had people taking videos of uh, trucks and cars sliding all over the place and eventually of it being at a complete standstill. And this whole thing that I just described was being replayed in thousands of places around New York, New Jersey, and other places in the Northeast. And, of course, we are horrified by everybody who has to go through this. But, obviously, when our own community uh, is involved, it, uh, it it gives us a little bit of extra attention that we pay to it. And you told me this morning of uh, situations of students in our community and of schools in our community who had some real near misses and difficulties late yesterday and for some early this morning because you, you you know people who are literally going to pick up their kids early this morning. It seems that there are schools in West Orange, and I can't confirm whether we're talking about Yeshiva Day schools or 
public schools or what have you, but there are schools in West Orange that the kids never went home last night. Unbelievable. There was no way to get the kids home safely, and they all hunkered down and stayed put, and parents were going to pick them up this morning. There's story after story, both on social media and just through various channels that are coming out about people's nightmarish commutes, people who were stuck in Port Authority when they closed it because of the mass crowding, people who were stranded in various places. If uh, if you follow Jason Katz on social media, his commute, I think, took nine and a half hours. Wow. And he, um, he, po- he posted when he got home what he referred to as the diary of his commute, um, <laughs> made jokes along the way about tailgating on the FDR because he was just sitting there and was hungry. And how and, and how um, un, how uncomfortable? Yeah, I mean, with everything else, with the safety concerns, obviously those being paramount, how uncomfortable a situation for people stuck like that for hours upon hours upon hours, just unbelievable. And for those outside this area, just to explain, it was a very quick, fast, heavy snow, and it paralyzed. It basically paralyzed the city at that at that point. You know, a couple hours after it started falling. And, and that, then, of course, there are the people who ran out of gas. Right, of course. One, per- one person I know who walked by foot, left her car, walked on foot to go get gas in the, at a gas station in New York, in Manhattan, only to find out that there was none. And so she had to return to her car and just wait it out and then ended up leaving it somewhere. Uh, I mean, that was another crazy story. And then, of course, there are just the power outages. There are... <laughs> Somebody you and I both know who live in the five towns posted on social media last night, and I was in touch with him this morning, that there was a power line down uh, near his house, but they still had power. The the problem was when the UPS truck decided to drive through the down power line, ripping it off the, the, the pole and therefore causing an outage in his entire area. And you, last night was... I'm sorry. I was, I was, was going to say, last night was not a night to be at without power and heat. Oh, that's for sure. And um, in addition, just uh, by comparison, when, when we left the studio here yesterday, the, the number of trees and branches that were down because of the heavy snow and had obviously, uh, you know, I don't want to say destroyed, because hopefully they weren't, but certainly uh, damaged cars hopefully did not cause any loss of life, frankly, because you know how dangerous that could be when these trees come down. The more I was driving along, sure. in Lower Manhattan yesterday, the more of those I saw, and it was really... Really scary, just being weighed down, the trees and branches being weighed down by the heavy snow, and that in and of itself can cause so many injuries and problems. And they don't think that the worst is over yet, not to be Debbie Downer, but the winds that are supposed to follow this snow, the winds that are supposed to take over most of the day, at least this morning, are also supposed to wreak havoc. So while the precipitation has changed terrain, and I've never sounded more like a weather forecaster in my life, <laughs> while, the, while the precipitation is supposed to change terrain... And end completely before noon. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it is going to end completely before noon, the, the precipitation, hopefully. Right. And then everyone is just going to have to figure it out before Shabbos. But I, I, I beg of everyone... Anyone who has to be out today, and obviously it's Arab Shabbos, a lot of people have to be out today, not only use caution and find some common sense if you don't have any generally, but remember to be patient. Be patient with someone else. 
be patient with yourself and try just to take it a little bit slower. There's only so much you can do in a day, but there are so many things that we can prevent just by slowing it down. And I know you only have a minute to go here, but I just got to I got to ask you to help me remind everybody. You wake up in the morning on a regular Thursday, especially one where thank God, you know, everyone gets to school and work, you know, healthy and fine. And you never know what's going to happen. You never you got to be thankful for every minute because there are people literally uh, whose lives changed yesterday because of this storm, which is just so hard to believe sometimes, but that's the way it is. It is absolutely. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. And by the way, you, you want to really shudder in fear? You want to really have... No, I mean, I don't, but thank you. Yes. <laughs> you are... <laughs> think, think, God forbid, think, God forbid, if exactly what happened yesterday in the exact time frame would happen today, would have happened a day later. Could you imagine what would be going on Erev Shabbos in this area? And I I'm, mean, I, I can imagine, except I can also imagine that because it's a Friday and because, uh, you know, people will have just have no choice but to maybe not go in, maybe mass transit will have been a little bit lighter. Maybe people will use, you know, would have used uh, common sense. I don't know. But at least, you know, people were leaving their offices today by two. Debbie Downer, you're Pearl Positive. <laughs> I know. I mean, talk about a 180 in terms of my personality. Boom. <laughs> Well, I thank you. You saw a lot of stories online. You saw a lot of things with a lot of situations that hundreds of thousands of people were going through. And like I say, we, we, are, we are frustrated on behalf of everybody. But in our community, we know of, of different accidents that happened. And as you Correct. said, you know, people who were abandoned and, and, and obviously gas problems and tremendous discomfort problems as someone sits and on I the... And I will say, and I just, I don't, not to interrupt Nahum, but as, as a one of the first people to head to social media, not only to criticize the Long Island Railroad and um, its um, dysfunction, but also to make fun of it. I did not meet one person yesterday from the LIRR who was not as helpful as possible, who was not as pleasant as possible, and not as understanding as possible. And they, and, and they were also so on top of communication. It was astounding as a person, uh, literally, who, who, who voted for a particular candidate <laughs> because she's angry with how mass transit is otherwise handled by the person who's in office. I, um, I, I can't laud the LIRR enough. And my getting home in three hours yesterday was an absolute blessing compared to people's nightmares. No question so, about it. Plus, props to the LIRR. Plus, you were in a place that that you know that uh, was a hub for train service as opposed to bus service like the Port Authority, so at least there was some movement where you were. Right, and even though it was slower and they made an announcement that they would be going slower and they asked everyone for their patience, and thank God no one asked me for my ticket because I might have lost it at that point, but, um, but really, all in all, I'll take three hours. No I'll question. take three hours any day on a day like that. No question about it. All right. Miriam El Wallach, Shabbat Shalom. Get some rest Shabbat over Shabbat shalom. to everybody, especially after this harrowing experience for some people. More coming up. It's a Friday morning edition of JM in the AM. And um, <laughs> on the app of Rummy, of course, has to tell us that it's a bit chilly and rainy in Beit Shemesh. Really rainy in the early morning. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Avrami. <laughs> I don't think he's going to. He's going to beat us when it comes to the challenging weather. One listener says, imagine 20 years ago, we wouldn't even know any snow is going to fall. I don't know. Is that true? 20 years ago, they weren't able to predict uh, the same type of prediction they had yesterday? Hmm. Not sure about that. I think so. 200 years ago, I would agree with that. That's for sure. And uh, someone sent us the link via the app that, that talks about the West Orange students who were stranded on the buses and in schools 
because of the storm. And um, this is a story that was, uh, do I have who reported this? Oh, I don't have what newspaper it was from. Uh, but it says here, parents with students at Gregory, Redwood, St. Cloud, Kelly, Mount Pleasant, BMELC, Liberty, Edison, Roosevelt, and West Orange High were advised to view their school's main homepage for specific updates because, uh, as the photo on this page indicates, uh, those buses weren't going anywhere. Uh, just unbelievable the way the weather, lo- as bad as it was here in the New York area, meaning in New York City, it is unbelievable what some of the photos look like from the outlying areas and from the suburbs. Uh, in fact, it says here that... Um, uh, Google traffic maps show deep red lines covering West Orange Road, signifying that traffic was at a near standstill. Route 280 was shut down in both directions near West Orange. Anybody out there, no matter where around the world you are, if you're familiar with West Orange, New Jersey, and that area and Route 280, I am sure, I am sure you, you, you took notice when I just said that they actually closed Route 280 in both directions at some point yesterday afternoon. Unbelievable. Friday morning. I hope everybody is safe and sound in this audience and every audience after a challenging weather situation here in the Northeast. Uh, hopefully, as uh, Miriam just alluded to, things will start to calm down. It is raining outside. That rain will end at some point this morning. It is pretty windy out there, so be careful regarding that. And hopefully our reward for all this craziness will be a beautiful looking Shabbos. We are expecting mostly sunny weather tomorrow with a high temperature near 50 degrees. Again, it's Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayetze with candle lighting at 417. An hour from now, it's the weekly update. Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, will join us. Rabbi Yudin, of course, with Parshas Vayetze and plenty more. It's all happening on a Friday, Erev Shabbos. You're listening to JM in the AM.
Thank 
J.M. and the A.M. You know who that is? Yaakov Shweki. A Perfect World from Muzika. Mordechai Shapiro at Ivdu. You heard L'Chado D done by Leif Tahar. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos Parshas by Yetzay. Candle lighting at 417 in New York. 417. Tuesday, a big day. Yeshiva University, the banner raising for the Skyline Conference Championship for Yeshiva University men's basketball. Looking forward to being there. Thursday, oh, and we'll speak with Coach Steinmetz Tuesday morning. Thursday is Thanksgiving. We'll be here Thursday morning, believe it or not. Morning rain with a high of 47. We're at 39 right now. Looks like a nice-looking Shabbos in this area. I hope the same where you are. And this is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Galitzal in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, is going to join us. Got the weekly update coming up. He will uh, join us at about 7.40 Eastern Time this morning here at JM and the AM. Rabbi Yudin about Parshas Vayetze coming up as well. So we'll do all that. We keep it here at uh, JM in the AM. Uh, plenty of programming all through the day, including a brand new show with uh, Naomi Nachman, Table for Two at 9 a.m., sponsored by Kosher.com from Kosher Fest. Details coming up. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next. Spoken to from JM. Galitzal, Shashtain, Kan Ufek Albert, in Mashikor Yashav. Sarah Bitachon Hamid Pater, Avigdor Lieberman, Omer Bemifgash Preda, in Toshavea Darom, Verashea Rashiot, Kia Memshala, Bauchaver Admachar, Nichnea Le Hamas. Rashe Hamas, Mikablim Le Maseh Hasinut, Mikabinet Israeli. Elushin at Nup Kudot, Shagir Hamesh Mot Raketat, 
מרגישים חסינים ובטוחים. אני לא מאמין בשום הסדרה מול ארגון טרור, ועם ארגון טרור צריך להתנהל כמו ארגון טרור. וכל הסדר עם ארגון טרור זאת כניעה, נקודה. במהלך הכינוס מתח ליברמן ביקורת על הקבינט וטען כי השרים אמרו דבר אחד בתוך הדיונים הסגורים, אולם בתקשורת התבטאו הפוך. כתבנו רמי שני שמע אותו. אותם אנשים שטרפדו כל החלטה בדיוני ערב בקבינט, בבוקר עלו ליומני הבוקר ושאלו נו מה עם 40 שעות, מה עם עניין. ואנחנו למעשה קנינו בכסף קטרי שקט לטווח קצר. במחיר של פגיעה קשה בביטחון לאומי לטווח ארוך. בתוך כך, בשעה זו נועדים ראש הממשלה בנימין נתניהו והשר בנט הדבק בדרישתו לקבל את תיק הביטחון. כתבנו הפוליטי מיכאל האוזר טוב. מזה כשעה נמשכת פגישת נתניהו בנט בירושלים. במהלך הפגישה השר בנט צפוי לחזור על האולטימטום שהשמיע. ללא תיק הביטחון נלך לבחירות ונפרק את הממשלה. בתוך כך, לפני כשעה קלה אמרה השרה שקד אם מחליטים שהולכים לבחירות, צריך לעשות זאת תוך שלושה חודשים, לא יותר מכך. משמע, גם בבית היהודי תומכים בבחירות מוקדמות ככל האפשר בחודש מרס. משפחתו של סגן הדר גולדין, זיכרונו לברכה, שגופתו מוחזקת בשבי חמאס, מפגינה בשעה זו מול מעון ראש הממשלה, מחאה על הפסקת האש מול ארגון הטרור. כתבתנו טל זרבי ושמע את אביו של הדר, שמחה גולדין. אנחנו פונים לראש הממשלה שיושב בבית הזה. הוא מנהל את המדינה כבר קרוב לעשר שנים. האחריות עליו, ההחלטות שלו. ואנחנו לא רואים את המנהיגות של ראש הממשלה בארבעת השנים האחרונות, ובוודאי לא בשבוע האחרון. אנחנו רוצים שראש הממשלה ינהיג את הבאת החיילים כתנאי ראשון לכל פשרה עם האויב, לכל מתנה שהוא נותן לאויב ולכל הפסקת אש שהוא עושה עם האויב. כמעט שלושה ימים אחרי הבחירות בירושלים, עופר ברקוביץ', שהפסיד בסיבוב השני, התקשר לפני זמן קצר לראש העירייה הנבחר, משה ליאון, וברך אותו על זכייתו. כתבתנו מיכל צ'ין מזכירה כי בליל הבחירות הצהיר ברקוביץ' שינקוט בהליכים משפטיים בטענה לזיוף בספירת הקולות, אך כעת קבע פגישה עם ליאון בניסיון לגשר על הפערים. תחזית מזג האוויר, הגשמים ייפסקו בהדרגה בשעות הקרובות, אך הטמפרטורות נמוכות מהרגיל העונה. מחר שבת, התחממות קלה ויעשה נאה. ולסיום, כשאצלנו רטוב, בדרום אפריקה נלחמים ביובש, בבירה קייפטאון, שסובלת ממחסור חמור במים, הודיעו היום על תוכנית טיפול חדשה במשבר, במסגרתה יעקרו כל עצי האקליפטוס בעיר. כתבתנו יערה אגמי חורי. האקליפטוס, שידוע בצריכת המים הרבה שלו, ושהובא בין היתר לארץ ישראל לייבוש ביצות, מאיים עכשיו על יתרת המים המתוקים שעוד נשארה בבירת דרום אפריקה. הרשויות בדרום פועלות כדי לעקור את עצי האקליפטוס באזור העיר קייפטאון בעקבות משבר מים חמור שמסכן את זרימת המים בברזי תושביה. לפי דיווח ברויטרס, 4 מיליון דולרים הושקעו במהלך, שעשוי לחסוך 56 מיליארד ליטרים של מים. ואלה זמני כניסת השבת, פרשת ויצא. בירושלים, 4 ו-4 דקות, בתל אביב, 4 ו-18, בחיפה, 4 ו-8 דקות, ובבאר שבע תיכנס השבת ב-4 ו-22. ואלה זמני צאת השבת, מחר בערב, בירושלים, 5 ו-18, בתל אביב, 5 ו-19, בחיפה, 5 ו-17, ובבאר שבע תצא השבת מחר בערב ב-5 ו-21. שבת שלום. אלה החדשות שעורך מאון ששון, בצוות איטיאל דינר וזוהר צייג.
JM in the AM with Simcha Liner and the classic Kalbach Vim Komfa. Liner live in Odessa with that one here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbat Shlomo Katz before that with Bowie Vishalom. Good tune. Candle lighting at 417 in the New York area. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Hope you were able to get home after the crazy commute yesterday in this area, New York and New Jersey listeners and Northeast listeners. It was a, a crazy afternoon and night uh, last night. And uh, today, uh, the rain should be ending about three, four hours from now, turning into a windy but sunny day, then clear tonight, and then mostly sunny for tomorrow. A high shop is 48 in this area. 56 right now in Yerushalayim. We're 39 officially here in uh, New York City as we say good morning. At JM and the AM, Malcolm Holmline is going to join us, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We'll have the weekly update less than a half hour from now. Rabbi Yudin, of course, on Parshas Vayetze. We wrap up the week for JM and the AM at 9 o'clock, and then it all begins. Table for two with Naomi Nachman is going to be from Kosher Fest, a program sponsored by our friends at kosher.com that happens between 9 and 10. The Erev Shabbos Show Encore with Mark Zamek, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem, starts at 10 o'clock. 1 p.m. for the Harry Rothenberg um, video blog about Parshas Vayetze. I heard it this week. It's a good one. Uh, it's always a good one. Do you get my point? Uh, and then after that, the Erev Shabbos music mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Tomorrow night, it's Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler with Saturday Night Siegel. Sunday, it's Matis with JM Sunday beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern time. An action-packed weekend. And, of course, we get together Monday for a Thanksgiving week here at JM in the AM. So plenty happening, lots going on. And I appreciate you being there. Listen, Devorah says, very proud to be a Nishmat alum. They have opened up their dorm to host families for Shabbat from the south. They've included meals to give these families a relaxing weekend. Shabbat Shalom. Listen, Devorah checking in from Israel. Um, yeah, our brothers and sisters in a really serious situation. Not a weather situation, but a really serious situation. And that is their, uh, well, I guess weather also is a serious safety situation. But you get my point. Uh, so they are uh, the people at Nishmat are opening up their homes and their dorms to make sure that everybody in the South who's in need has a place for Shabbat. JM in the AM with Miami.
Jam and the M Friday. La Soak is done by Benny Friedman. Uh, before that, you heard uh, Yerachmiel Begun, Miami Boys Choir, Forever, La Olam Vaed, off of the album entitled Forever here at Jam and the M. Someone pointed out on the app that it was appropriate that the, the Simcha Liner and Miami selections were back-to-back since they're going to be together the 6th of December out in Chicago. A big hello to our friends in Chicago, Illinois. Tuned in here on a JM in the AM Friday morning. Thanks for joining us. 39 degrees, morning rain, a high temperature of 47. Hope you're safe and sound after the big storm in the Northeast yesterday. Certainly was a challenging, uh, <laughs> a challenging time. My gosh. Um, Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayetze, candlelighting 417. Big day at YU on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday night. Yeshiva University will hoist the Skyline Conference Championship banner. Men's basketball team, uh, Skyline Conference champions. Mazal Tov to everybody up at Yeshiva University. We'll be there, Vezrat Hashem. Thursday is Thanksgiving. We'll be here for a JM and the AM broadcast on Thanksgiving morning. So make sure to join us for that. And then I believe it's going to be a full day of great Jewish music. So as you get together with family and friends on Thanksgiving, all you got to do is put our network on, and you will be treated to amazing music. Um, hey, why not? Enjoy it. Enjoy all the amazing music. And um, that'll be happening on the Thanksgiving Day. And, of course, a week from today, back to a regular Friday morning edition, even on Thanksgiving weekend here at JM in the AM. Yehuda Green is next. You're listening to JM in the AM.
to sing our song We sing on the seventh day The seventh day of every week Each up is our day of rest For the one above we look our best Sing a song of praise Shabbos we shall keep Ms. J.M. and the A.M. with Aryeh Kunstler, Mizmor Shir, Liom Hashabos. That was um, from the album From the Depths. Before that, Draw Yikra, done by Lev Yatan. You heard the Maccabees before that one. And Yehuda Green with the Chizuk Nigun opening up that set here at J.M. and the A.M. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, Parshas Vayetze, candle lighting at 417 in these parts. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Mazal Tov to everybody at Yeshiva University, one of the teams that will raise their banner on Tuesday night are the Skyline Conference champion, the Yeshiva University men's basketball team. Looking forward to being there. And Thursday is Thanksgiving. It's upcoming. Yeah, believe it or not, Thursday is, after all, 
winter storms. Why can't it be Thanksgiving already? Um, uh, Thursday's Thanksgiving, we'll be here, JM and the AM, and of course, we'll turn into a uh, all-music network after 9 a.m. Thanksgiving morning for you to share great music with your family and friends as you get together uh, this coming Thursday, Friday morning. We are back, normal schedule here at JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. Locally, morning rain with a high temperature of 47. This rain should end by noonish, even earlier. And our reward for uh, all the aggravation yesterday will be a nice-looking Shabbos in this area. Hope it'll be nice no matter where you are. Uh, I want to thank our friends at jewishworldreview.com. We're going to print out thousands of articles before Shabbos about Israel and the Jewish world. It's a good place to start. Go to jewishworldreview.com. We thank them for their assistance always. And a big thank you to onlysimchas.com, who continue to utilize a lot of our content for the uh, portion of the uh, website that's dedicated to great news from around the Jewish world. Um, you go to onlysimchas.com, check out their news feed on a daily basis. You'll be glad you did. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us today, like every Friday, with the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Well, good morning, Malcolm, and everyone. Uh, good morning. You know, I, I, those who survived yesterday. Yeah, those in the New York, New Jersey area certainly survived yesterday. Um, one of the things, I know that you rightfully go out of your way to compliment them when possible. I, I being the size I am, take every opportunity to knock them. So I will make sure to be nice this morning. Uh, a reminder as two El Al planes that took off late Friday from JFK landed in Rome and Athens instead of Tel Aviv in order to prevent religious and Haredi travelers from arriving late to Israel and thus being Machal Shabbos. And I think it's just a good opportunity to again remind everybody, like we did last week with Israeli radio and the newscast, candlelighting, etc., it's good to remind everybody, no matter what you think and no matter what you, no matter how difficult sometimes it might be, especially at a certain size to fly, nonetheless, it is pretty amazing that our very own state of Israel has its very own airline and one that's ready to accommodate Shabbos and many other religious situations. So I thought we'd give them a big shout-out to start out this week. Right. <laughs> I know. I know that you echo my sentiments. And uh, yeah, I, and, under, and understand. People have to anticipate because uh, you know, in the 21st century, we still have certain things like nature that you can't overcome. Isn't it unbelievable? Uh, just incredible. You no, know, we you. think we can control everything, and and uh, it ain't true. Yeah, that's for sure. And we're seeing that in many areas of this country. For those around the world tuned in, uh, we are focused constantly by our news media on the fires in California and obviously difficult weather situations that go on, especially uh, with tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, etc. And this thing in the Northeast yesterday was really threw everybody for a loop, and I hope everyone is, in fact, um, safe and sound on this uh, era of Shabbos. All right, speaking of safe and sound, we're obviously very concerned about the situation in Israel. Uh, we'll go back a bit before we do the whole political side of it. Uh, would it be accurate to say that between Monday and Tuesday, about four to 500 rockets fired from Gaza into the southern part of Israel? Yes, uh, 500 is uh, closer to the truth than 400, it, and cumulatively. But remember, it was in a in a relatively short period of time, yeah, boy. about 24 hours. Uh, and the capacity to do that is, uh, is very frightening. As you know, Iron Dome took out about 100 of them, the air defense system, and it also... Com- computes when a rocket is fired, whether it will land likely in uninhabited areas. So those are not even fired at. And, and people have to remember, it's very expensive. Each shot of an Iron Dome is, I don't know, $70,000. And so it's something that they have to do wisely, and they can't 
and because the number of batteries are limited, they have to tr- make sure to be able to take out those that pose the greatest danger. And when so many are coming, uh, it's it's not easy to um, to fire constantly. Oh, but but people told me, my grandsons who saw it from the yeshiva saw the, it, they said it was an incredible sight to see how many were in the air at the same time and being taken out. So this is the test that now I understand better what they mean by a test of the enemy of Iron Dome because they, they know how effective Iron Dome is. The question is they want to know how effective it is when there's a real bombardment, a real assault. And when you have uh, you know that many coming in for Israel, and, and maybe I'm anticipating some of the questions that you'll, you'll ask, but um, we have to look at the totality of the picture. You have large civilian populations. They came under assault. Uh, you, you saw the rockets. Uh, heading to to Ashdod, you saw um, the attempts, to, I think, to reach Ashkelon. The um, uh, certainly uh, there have been a few that have hit as far as Beersheba, but the um, uh, when you have this many rockets, maybe twenty thousand rockets and mortars in the hands of Hamas, this is more than double what they had at the time of the war in twenty fourteen, right? Twenty fourteen, yeah. right, yeah. and. So you you have so many decisions that they have to make. Do you evacuate people? Where do you put them? How do you safely transport? How do you keep life as normal as possible so you don't, um, uh, you know, to destroy the the infrastructure of life in the South, which would be terrible. And the people's resilience there, their dedication, that families who stay, it, it, it's it's more than miraculous. It's and heroic. It's incredible. People should think about them. We should be supporting them. Uh, but the uh, um, the conditions there with children knowing that they have 15 seconds to get to a, and, and always being on alert to get to a, a sanction uh, a, a safe uh, place to one of the safe rooms or to to one of the bunkers and safe rooms uh, uh, that can be a distance away and they have to constantly worry not only to be alert for themselves but to worry about their families or if they have children whatever. Um, so the, the the nature of the challenge to Israel is really very scary. And you know the leaders of Hamas weren't weren't seen during this time. They were underground the whole time. They used uh, timers and remote control devices. Even not the leadership. You know the the guys who fired these uh, rockets because they didn't want to expose themselves to danger. They don't mind putting the civilian in Gaza under in danger. And they use civilians as cover and hide under them. In this case, not just behind them. Uh, and they were they were in the, these um, the underground infrastructure that we know exists there. And you mentioned the leadership of the enemy. Um, an article that I found in your Daily Alert alludes to the fact that now, and I, I never realized this, all the different terror groups are coming together, establishing a coalition, so to speak. And now, honestly, I thought all the terror groups that are that are you know that have a presence in Gaza, frankly, were together already. Do they have the potential to be even stronger and more unified? Not ultimately. There may be as a tactical move right now, but ultimately their differences. They have different backers, uh, different degree of backing, mostly Iran, but also others. And uh, their interests at some point diverge. But right now they have a common interest. Right. And, and part of the concern, I think, uh, and I hear from people all the time, but why don't they just carpet bomb? Why don't they just respond? Um, uh, 
is that the message that they get, if, if you don't really eradicate the danger, but it's not simple in a place. You have to know the, the demographics. You have to know the topography and the, the, the situation and what it would mean to send in soldiers to to clean it out if you're talking about a ground invasion, if you're talking about just airstrikes. Israel carried out, I think, 120 airstrikes in one, day, in one night and the next morning, uh, and in the whole day, I think, 150 strikes. There wasn't any civilian casualties reported. And it's, again, a point I make and people should be making is that here you have an, uh, an Air Force probably alone in the world. They could hit 150 targets, and yet so precise that it's one building in a row of buildings right. that they, they give advance notice, which many have questions, including myself, about when you hit the... the um, Strategic headquarters of their of their security services, you know, giving them notice, making sure that they're, they're all out. I know they don't want a high casualty numbers, we know because of the international reaction, et cetera. But to me, the question is, what's the psychological impact? What is? How do they? Do the people interpret it? Do do others say, look, Israel so concerned about human life in its borders, even the human life amongst its enemies, that we have a lot more leeway to, to press them and to stretch the, you know, the, what we might do, uh, because Israel will always act with restraint. And the, you know, that is, that is one of the issues that's being debated is how do others then see it? Do they see it as strength that Israel says, look, you know, these are not an existential danger. These are not, um, the rockets are, are harmful. But they don't represent uh, an ultimate threat. They hurt the economy. They hurt the people. They, you know, it can damage homes. Uh, as opposed to the situation in the north, where you have 150,000 missiles and Hezbollah, which is many times larger than uh, Hamas, uh, and the danger of a two-sided war right. is uh, is a very serious concern that they have. When the prime minister, and, and again, on the issue of carpet bombing versus, let's say, we'll, we'll call it versus ceasefire, when the prime minister rushes away from France to get back to Israel in light of the situation, in light of the uh, the killing of the officer Sunday night, and the operation, and of course the escalation that ends up happening on Monday and Tuesday, is, isn't that a signal, or, or is it just wishful thinking of, uh, among some, that there is going to be, I wouldn't say carpet bombing, but certainly some type of serious advancement, some type of serious infiltration of the enemy by air and by land, uh, or <laughs> I guess as we've seen, uh, can a can can an emergency move like you know rushing back to Israel land in a ceasefire? I guess my question is, you know, once once we heard that he was running back to Israel, we just assumed that there was going to be a major military offensive. That is true, uh, but you have to look at it from various sides. Number one, if he had stayed in France uh, while uh, 500 rockets were fired, right. you know that there would have been an immediate crisis. There would have been so much criticism. Uh, it, it is entirely appropriate that the prime minister, I think any head of state, would have returned. Um, because, first of all, they didn't know how long it would escalate. They didn't know how that this that the ceasefire would even be possible, and I would say that 150 strikes is pretty strong. You know, there aren't that many military and and strategic sites to hit in Gaza, and they've hit hundreds 
over the last six months, let's say, in in uh, various responses to, to firing of rockets and terror attacks. Then why do so many people in the South think Israel didn't do a good job this week? Because their lives are still in danger, because they, they, there's been no diminution in the threat that Hamas can renew this, that this gives Hamas a breathing space and time to, to regroup and... and um, and they're saying, well, what we we are here, you know, we're the targets. We have both sides painted on our communities. What improvement is there from this, in terms of uh, of our situation and the threat to us? And the answer is that they look around, they say, well, we didn't disarm them, we didn't kill many of their leaders, although some were. You know, the um, uh, it's fully understandable that they live very difficult lives. They had big demonstrations in Tel Aviv. Uh, about uh, about security, and then you had a statement by a, uh, one of the members of the government, uh, not very thoughtful, and has since retreated from it and tried to apologize. I think right. or will today um, that uh, you know it wasn't serious. If they had Tel Aviv, that would have been that would have evoked a, a different response. Right. Well, what he meant was obviously well, it wasn't a put down. It, it was a put down, but it wasn't. I think intended right. in his case to be. But obviously, if you're a resident of the of the South, mm-hmm. and you see somebody close to the prime minister, a significant individual, making a comment like that, yeah, it, it's sort of like the article we saw that uh, you know, if somebody hit, you know, would, would fire one rocket at the U.S., what would the response be? Nobody's, you know, no, <laughs> nobody's uh, drawing that as a direct comparison. Certainly, we have plenty of sympathy for the, our brothers and sisters in the South, but we do know. In reality, there'd be a different type of reaction if the U.S. was hit or if Tel Aviv was hit. Well, when, but even when Beersheba got hit, you right. remember the the response right. was was more immediate. Right. And you know, compounding it for the people there is that they saw the read the reports like we did of the transfer of money, right, from Qatar, and they're saying, you know, you gave them fifteen million in cash, and this the, is this you know, is what you get a, it was a reward for what, and this is this happens, you know, days later. Well, first of all, there are a couple of responses. One is that, and I heard from a top military, foreign military uh, leader, that they botched the um, the raid that they were engaged in. The uh, they were the attempt was to surveil and perhaps sabotage some military equipment. I don't think it was an assassination squad, uh, but unfortunately, it got detected, and that led to the shooting and the killing of uh, one of the soldiers and the wounding of another. Uh, as they did heroic things to protect the other soldiers who were with them. Uh, this is not something that, that is so rare. They go in periodically to to get intelligence, to see the new equipment, to maybe address some of the threats at tunnels, etc. So you, they have to do it, and they do it with great precision and very rarely detected. Unfortunately, this time it was, and that led to the, to the escalation. So... They're saying that this was not intended. This was um, necessary to the, the rockets. Then became a response to that, and then the people look and they see that this money goes. It was meant to do give a hundred dollars to fifty thousand families. This is money from gutter. And a hundred dollars would mean it's significant, right? For a family there, it's significant. Well, it's the first money they've gotten in a while, and and also to pay Hamas government employees who right. have been paid in a long time. So. You know the fifty million, the fifteen million, right. then doesn't go that far. Billion, although being in cash and it is supervised, and and it is not. It's something Israel agreed to, and they have a system in place. And Qatar actually has been supportive and working with 
Israel on this money transfer, uh, and the, their representative, uh, man I have met, Alamidi, um, was uh, stoned and attacked in Gaza. Uh, so the the uh, but the people in Sderot and everywhere else looks at this and says fifteen million dollars cash to to a terrorist organization is a is a lifeline. All right. Um, all right. So based on everything you've now cleared up for us and analyzed for us this morning, uh, would you agree that, and this is what the perception I think is, um, would you agree that, that really the enemy planned for a 24 or, you know, 24 plus a few hours over the exact time frame was of bombarding Israel and whether there was a formal, uh, ceasefire or not, they likely would not have continued. This was a this was a test, and whether Israel would have responded with a ceasefire or not, it likely would have the the bombardment of Israel likely would have waned. Is that something that that, that it, it, say it again? It would have waned if one if, if it, even without an official ceasefire, it's likely they would have let up. The enemy would have let up later in the week, um, because again, this was a test of the bombardment of Israel and how it holds up, and they fully intended to slow things down, even if there wasn't an official ceasefire. Is that is that a valid conclusion or not? It, it, it's possible because, you know, there, there becomes a limit to how many they can continue to fire right. at, at, uh, at one time. But I think that the um, that there's no guarantee. And as I said, when you have 20,000 missiles, which is what the estimate and mortars that, that they have, it doesn't cost them much to do it. They'll just keep firing and firing and, and then can re, uh, replace them. But I think the... Um, that so so it could have continued, but not endlessly. Yeah, understood. Um, uh, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the Nahum Siegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holine is with us. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Now, I wish that I mean I, I'm not accusing I'm not accusing you of not telling us everything. But sometimes I, I wish you'd really uh, share with us what you think happened behind the scenes. Um, the defense minister of Israel, I get it that he felt compelled to resign after BB did not call for the carpet bagging or, or carpet bombing, rather, excuse me, I've done that before, carpet bombing, uh, you know, et cetera, or some limited, you know, type of it in Gaza. I get that. But nonetheless, you have to agree that there's always a an important political element to this, right? If it was in his best interest to stay in the government, he likely would have tolerated Bibi's decision uh, because it's not in his best interest, he feels, to stay in the government. It's better for him to now leave and to dramatically you know, resign and to cause this earthquake that I keep reading about in Israeli politics. I'm not quite sure if it's an earthquake. You could tell us what you think. Um, uh, you know, so he felt that he had to leave at this point. So what could you tell us behind the scenes about Lieberman's decision? Well, first of all, it was cumulative. It's not uh, just this. And the tension between the prime minister and Lieberman has been well known and been going on for a long time. And um, so I think that you're right, anticipating elections, as everybody is right now, and, uh, and thinking that an announcement will come soon. Many thought it would come immediately after Sukkot, because, uh, you know, you have to give three months' notice. They want I think March is their ideal month because it's after the winter, so more voters can come out, and uh, the government anyway ends in the, in in 2019. So I mean, it would be elections at the end of the year. 
So this is would be just moving it up, and not unreasonable amount of time. So by Israeli standards, where the average government lasts two and a half years, they're doing well, and, and they lasted now over three. Uh, the um, you know Lieberman's decision. I'm sure he was angry, and I'm sure there was a fight, and he thought in, and can claim now in an election where his polling earlier was very low, maybe not e- even to make the threshold for inclusion in the Knesset, in the next Knesset. Uh, he now can be the, uh, the the person, the defense candidate who stood up, and especially when you have people like Benny Gantz, former chief of staff, and others now you know, circling uh, the political realm and talking about running his own party. And the latest polls show he would get 15 mandates, which is quite incredible for a novice and I don't think sustainable in reality, but it's an expression of you know people's frustration with what is. You also see, and as you said, out if you analyze it deep, it's the multiple levels. You have Bennett now wanting to be the defense minister. Right. I don't think will happen, or it'll be just an accommodation for a short period till the election. But the uh, and Shaked came out uh, for him to be a, the minister. Others um, were very critical of it. But for Lieberman, his political future was very much in doubt. So this at least gives him uh, somewhat of a standing and a, and a base on which to, to be able to run, to challenge the prime minister. Uh, and I think people increasingly see him as vulnerable, but the victor, because he there's really no one, I think, on the scene still uh, who could beat him. What's funny, though, is that Bibi basically, and certainly you have to say it about the most recent election, he basically wins on this on the safety and security issue. Uh, some might even say he unfairly utilized that whole angle the last time around, if you remember the days before and then Election Day itself. So it's funny. If Lieberman could, in fact, steal that, uh, that um, area of politics from Bibi and, and become the kingmaker in that area, maybe there can be a shakeup and somebody else you know, could sneak in and win. Look, it's not impossible because, you know, governments are coalition governments. Right. So it's not an absolute outcome. And, uh, you know, and, and you can be sure that, that Lieberman will campaign now that uh, that Israel's response was too weak, that Israel, you know, uh, I think someone told me that he he, would, he said they gave immunity to terrorist leaders. Um, the So the question, I mean, he will put himself in the spotlight also about what happened all of this time now that this could still be um, continued this way. The um, But it, it, once you get into this political realm, all, all uh, normality to the degree that it exists there really goes out the window. And, and I think you're going to see, uh, you know, people exploit it. And when it comes to security, that, that has to be a unifying factor. I mean, they have to be together, just as we see in, in Gaza. They are coalescing. The different parties are coalescing um, to, to, um, to, to deal with the current situation. They, they, right. they are not going to merge, not going to be able to get along in, in the longer term. So I think you'll see an ele- announcement of, an ele- of elections we're going to see the tensions you saw between Bennett and the Prime Minister at their meeting. Well, I think they met today. As you just predicted, here it is, the Jerusalem Post. After Prime Minister Netanyahu and Education Minister Bennett concluded their meeting, it became clear that Israel will hold early elections. A date for the elections will be decided on Sunday. And listen to this excuse. Finance Minister Kahlon's objection to Bennett's demand of being appointed Defense Minister after Lieberman resigned this week led the officials to the decision. <laughs> 
<laughs> that, that's a weak excuse to go to new elections, <laughs> if you ask me. But as you just predicted, Malcolm, literally happened as we're speaking. Sunday, we'll know the date. Uh, what is it now? It's November. So, yeah, I guess February or March, right? We'll know the uh, date. Mo- mo- February is still too cold. And, right. and um, they have to try and get out. There. Everybody analyzes when their voters will most likely come out. So I think that that's, uh, that March is a more likely period. Wow. The campaign begins. I guess the Israelis would be, our brothers and sisters in Israel would say, let the fun begin. This is going to be quite. <laughs> it's not going to be fun. I think it's it's regrettable. Um, look, the, as I said, the election, it's only advancing in a little time. But, you know, the, it, it, you always end up with the same thing anyway. You need a coalition. You need, right. uh, then they start negotiating. And for all that time, essentially everything freezes. You know, the Knesset is frozen. It's actually the time when Israel's governments are the strongest is in the uh, election period because the ca- the there's campaign no period, restriction right? on the government they, they can act. Right. During and the, the uh, but for the country, you know, maybe without having uh, all of this government, they'll do better. But the um, and you, you could know, and you it's could. a period of uh, it's expensive and it's and it's a period of indecision. And you could make an argument. You could make an argument that all four people mentioned just now in this announcement, uh, Netanyahu, Bennett, Kahlon, and Lieberman, you, you can make an argument that, that every one of them has some, has some significant political strength right now. Like you could see that each, each of these uh, personalities um, has you know, so, some area or some influence that they could really play a big part in this election. Nobody's irrelevant in this group, let's put it that way. That's right, and, and remember, small parties have outside in, outsize influence because when it comes to the negotiations, because the margin of getting how far over 61 votes, right now he has a 61-vote coalition, which means that everybody has tremendous leverage over him and that the, um, um, the, the so for everybody will, after the election, obviously, uh, negotiate and try to get whatever they can, because if it's a very narrow margin, the latest poll show, showed Likud doing very well between, in the, in the, between the 30 and 40 seats, which is very large for, for Israeli parties and gives them very strong strength. If you only need to bring in you know, a couple parties, to, religious parties, others, to get over 61. Um, but it's, it, it's, these numbers will change, they will fluctuate, and a lot depends also still on the legal proceedings that right. um, I forgot about that. Oh my God, that are going on. And, right. and what if you have a decision there during this time? Right. As well? Oh my gosh, this could be a real roller coaster. Exactly. Wow, unbelievable. Be very interesting to see what happens with the religious parties. Obviously, we always are curious about that. And in general, this could be a very, very interesting election. I guess you could say. They all are. So the news is that the Bennett-Netanyahu meeting ends in a decision for new elections on Sunday. It will be announced um, exactly when that election will take place in Israel. So Ambassador Haley says the United States will no longer abstain when the U.N. engages in its useless annual vote on the Golan. If this resolution, she says, in, in regarding the U.N. resolution on the Golan Heights, uh, ever made sense, it surely does not today. The resolution is plainly biased against Israel. Further, the atrocities the Syrian regime continues to commit prove its lack of fitness to govern anyone. So the U.S. and and do you, do you have an estimate at least how long it's been like this? How many years they've uh, continued to abstain when it comes to the Syrian resolution, to the Golan resolution? 
uh, I guess since it was first introduced. Oh, really? A long time, yeah. So from the beginning, it's been an abstention. And what do you think of the uh, the Haley announcement and decision by the U.S. to vote differently now, to vote? Well, I think it's very important, and, and it's, again, a further, uh, you know, declaration about the administration saying the hypocrisy of the United Nations, all of these ridiculous resolutions. I mean, just, just the thought that, you know, the resolution essentially says that Israel should return the Golan to, to the... To Syria. to Syria. Now, just think what that means today right. of returning the Golan to Syria, which means giving it to Iran, which means giving it to Hezbollah and and all of their attendant radical and extremist forces, and uh, and the idea of any diminution of Israel's uh, position there, or or um, giving hope to the enemy that they can create circumstances uh, is is a, a bad move strategically in, in interest of no one. I mean, just think what Jordan would think, what uh, what will the Druze think on others if, if God forbid, Israel were, were to withdraw from the Golan, and what would it mean for the North? If you see what, what 20,000 rockets, think of 150,000 rockets in the hands of those of Hezbollah and their cuckoos in the, uh, in the North, what that would mean for, uh, for, for Israel. So the decision, it's a moral declaration. It's not going to change the vote in the United Nations. But we should also look at those who, who vote for it and, and, and judge their sanity if there are Western countries about what, how, how much they don't understand the situation in, in the North and how dangerous this proposal is. Could you, uh, could you end the suspense for us and just tell us which European countries are certainly going to be on that side of the issue? Are there any obvious ones? Well, the EU sometimes votes as a block on these things, and sometimes they, they will abstain. I would assume that Canada will vote with us. I think that Australia may, and um, hopefully Israel. But I, I think after that, it's all, it's all speculation, whether Palau and the Marshall Islands and some of the others who often vote with us. And the real key is to look at how many abstain. Right. Someone here wants to know if uh, you think Vladimir Putin will have any influence on the Israeli election. You know, he's had accusations about being influential on elections in the past, Malcolm, you know that. Right. Well, <laughs> it, it depends what, what way he's going to go. Obviously, he has close relations with Netanyahu and uh, with Lieberman. and will, with they other... be, will they be infiltrating Israeli social media? I mean, I think they try it everywhere, <laughs> but I, I don't know that they have a favorite party that, uh, that will determine the outcome of what of what, um, what what role. I don't know who they're against and who they're for, so it's hard to say. And in a drop more serious question, I wonder if the President of the United States is going to exhibit some type of preference in the upcoming Israeli election. That'll be interesting to watch. Yes, it will be. Yeah. And whether it'll be regarded as meddling or not. Or maybe he'll just, the truth is he could stay completely silent on this. I mean, there's no reason, if he doesn't want to, there's no reason for him to actually get involved, but. Right, you agree. Well, he doesn't usually stay silent on things, right. but, uh, <laughs> but a, I think that uh, that's a very good point. I don't think he, you know he will openly have a horse in the race. He'll, he obviously has this close relationship existing um, um, relationship with the, the prime minister, and uh, they've met very often. Considering, I think probably the foreign leader most often to meet with the president. Uh, so the you know, I, I, but I I think everybody will counsel against. Too blatant involvement. Uh, the race, speaking of elections, the race for Jerusalem mayor has been concluded. Any comment regarding the uh, mayor, Mayor Leon of Jerusalem? Well, I spoke to Mayor Leon yesterday. Uh, I've known him for many years. 
uh, I think he'll continue the, in the direction of trying to build Jerusalem and enhance the not only security but the economic development and uh, hopefully some of the projects we have, like finally securing Harris 18, will get a boost. Um, and even though it's more the federal government that that is uh, required to do that, and you, you remember, like police and things like that, are not in the control of the mayors. These are federal; it's all national police. Right. So the the um, so on the security front, he has more limited role. But obviously, the the mayor of Jerusalem is an international personality, and I hope Mr. Leon will will be able to fulfill that well. His English is good enough to be an international personality. Uh, yes. Oh, okay. I didn't know. Uh, two other things I wanted to mention regarding what happened down south, and as we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters and their children in the south. First of all, I hope I hope the normal day, school day, etc., has gotten back to to where it should be, because that was actually a decision parents and school boards had to make in the south. They should even open the schools. Right. And, and you can imagine when you know when a kid is taken out of their regular schedule and ends up being bored at home, and ha- and parents who need to go to work have to take care of their kids. You know how it's a domino effect, and obviously. A very difficult situation, but two things you alluded to this earlier, but I just wanted to um, uh, to remind everybody, especially those who are always fighting this battle on the college campuses, at group discussions and and uh, and get-togethers over Shabbos, etc. People have to understand the lengths to which Israel went to avoid hurting uh, Gaza civilians, and it's not it's not only what you just said before about targeting certain uh, uh, places, but one of the decisions the Prime Minister frankly makes. When deciding in an emergency if ground forces uh, should go in, etc., is you know the types of Gaza uh, casualties of civilians you know will occur. So you know you talked earlier today about the um, international pressure that God forbid would happen if the civilian casualties would be great. People have to uh, understand that from the other standpoint, meaning the positive standpoint of what Israel does to remain as as um, uh, as careful as possible when it comes to civilians, has to be stated as well. Just another piece that people need to know as they continue to fight, you know, out there for Israel, as they continue to uh, argue on its behalf. And you know what is interesting? You're absolutely right. But it's interesting to me that so often now in my conversations, even during the last week, um, with various Israelis, both officials and, and others, is that they would ask me about the, the problem of anti-Semitism in the United States and how worried we are about what is going on and what the... Um, the concern is, especially after the FBI report came out uh, this week, that uh, of a 37 percent increase in anti-Semitic attacks in 2017, uh, the, the huge increase, and of course Jews are the most targeted of all groups, even though people talk about Islamophobia and other forms of racism or bigotry, whatever, uh, um, against whatever group, but half of the attacks, I think, are against uh, uh, Jews in America, and those are the ones that are reported. So again, it's a reminder to people that if you suffer harassment or any kind of anti-Semitic incident, to report it, you cannot let it just go. We see the outcome when uh, people uh, people just dismiss them as crazy people or as, as um, extremists. They have to be acted upon. I was in Toronto to speak this week, and I, I learned that a group of uh, kids going to yeshiva to school were set upon uh, and beaten up there. The, the number of incidents across the country continues apace with, uh, with daily reports on campuses, especially, but off campus in communities. 
And, and while police and, and others, FBI, are giving it more of a priority, uh, the fact is that the infrastructure exists here and that we don't know to agree to which, or we do know some outside forces may play a role in it. But just because we're getting distant from Pittsburgh, I see already the diminution in concern and the immediate responses. Uh, a lot of uh, schools and synagogues instituted new measures. Everyone should, meaning locking doors and having everybody come in through one door so that you can uh, control the flow and people can notice if somebody uh, strange is, is circling the synagogue or it appears to be out of place, uh, of keeping a cell phone in the synagogue of, of, or, or school, any place that you can get immediate response. We cannot lay back on it. And, you know, we warned about it because we know from past experience that a few days later, you, you see right away things reverting to, uh, to the status quo ante and, and security becomes a um, secondary concern. It's got to remain a primary concern all the time. There are some irreversible permanent, permanent measures that can be implemented to, to fight this uh, lackadaisical attitude that sometimes sets in afterwards, whether it be combination locks that, uh, that people need to press in order to get into the building, whether it be uh, stanchions or, you know, um, um, I forgot what they're called, you know, the, to block cars and trucks from... Uh, the Ballards. Thank you. And and, that's right. And, and, like and the other thing, which is, you know, I'm promoting for many years with very limited success, is getting parents to agree to right. do guard duty one day a year when they register their kids. doesn't cost anything to anybody, to the right. schools. Uh, I'm sure there isn't a family that can't uh, arrange for a husband or wife to be there because they will know who belongs and doesn't belong. And the presence of people outside, visible presence, is a deterrent. And uh, I really hope that, uh, I mean, a couple schools are doing it now, and, and that can supplement having an, a uniformed guard. But they, a uniform guard doesn't know the people, doesn't know the community right. as well as any parent. The, par- the parents profile better than others. Uh, finally, let me end with this. Um... Uh, what do you have to say when a newly elected congresswoman from Minnesota who had said that during her campaign that BDS, boycott, divestment, and sanctions, that movement is counteractive and prevents dialogue, uh, what do you say that now she's been elected and reveals uh, that, uh, in fact, she is a supporter of the Israel boycott movement? A, it's no surprise that uh, Ilan Omar, we knew uh, the positions that she's had, held, it's not surprising. Um, she, she said in 2012 that Israel hypnotized the world and done evil doings. Uh, I spoke about this many times during the, the last uh, few months, warning about not only her but others. Uh, we have uh, another candidate who said a goal is to cut aid to Israel, uh, dancing with you know Palestinian flags on their elections, um, and and while that we represent a very small minority in the Congress, by and large Congress will be strong, but but this is insidious and it's going to continue to grow. We have to make sure that we get good, credible candidates, pro-Israel, pro-Jewish, Jewish candidates as well, to get involved in the political process. They should be running in this uh, state, city, committee, people, everything to be able to make sure that in the future we will have um, uh, representatives there who, who will be able to pursue meaningful policies for the United States and for, for our allies. We should not dismiss this. These are, these are not side acts. 
Right. We're seeing a growing trend everywhere in the world and even here and this polarization, the destruction of the center that I talked about for a year, a year and a half, two years. I mean, we're seeing it really enacted and in this election more than ever before that that people can get elected who are in some cases just totally ignorant, but in other cases really bigoted and biased in their in their views. And uh, finally, finally, contradicting the initial reports, Israeli media now says that Prime Minister Netanyahu has put out a statement claiming the rumor about new elections is false, saying that he will take on the role of defense minister. Of course he did. There you go. So, yeah, yeah. So, so I think this is his 13th ministry, <laughs> uh, but he really holds many portfolios, as you know, because he was holding mm. them out for labor coming in and others coming in. It, it is not in his interest to, to have the election uh, sooner than he wanted, um, and especially with the overhang of these of these investigations. Right. You Me- know, that if you have four months, a lot can happen in Me- those four months. Yeah, meanwhile, the media is sticking with the story that Sunday we will have a date for the election, so we'll see what happens. So he may, he may be showing this to say that, you know, I'm not the one pushing for this, right. and if we have to do it, it's reluctant. But I, I just don't see that, that people, the uncertainty, that was Cajlon's argument, the Minister of uh, Economy, um, that the indecision and this, you know, uh, being held over the people all the time. And uh, it, once at least you make a decision, they know there's a target date, things will you know, will go on, the circus will go on for that period. But this way, just delaying it, delaying it, I think adds to the tensions. Yeah, no question about it. All right, thank you so much. Uh, ne- next week, Thanksgiving weekend, we are together, right? God willing. Great. Okay, we look forward to it. Have a wonderful Shabbos. There he is, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Lots of folks take off Thanksgiving weekend, including Friday of Thanksgiving weekend. I'm proud to say that Malcolm and I are two of the people who will not be taking off. A week from today, we'll have a weekly update for you right here. Please, God, at JM in the AM. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayetz, Erev Ayudin coming up in just a second. Candlelighting in the New York area, 417. Yeah, it's early, all right. 417 candlelighting time. Make sure you know when things start where you are. And I hope everyone is safe and sound, both those who have been victimized by our crazy weather of yesterday in this area, and, of course, our brothers and sisters around the world, including those who are in the uh, area of the Gaza Strip in the southern part of Israel and certainly the southwestern part of Israel who have been under fire earlier in the week. I hope things are peaceful where you are. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos. With great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good day of Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Vayetze. A lot is happening in Parshas Vayetze. Yaakov Avinu leaves home. The rabbis tell us, based on the Rashi at the end of Toldos, he spends 14 years at the yeshiva of Aver, and now arrives at his father-in-law's house, marries Four women, is swindled, wanted Rachel, got Leah, and by the end of the parasha, he has 11 sons, one daughter, and is returning to Eretz Yisrael. The beginning of the parasha has the incredible dream and insurance policy 
that Hashem gives Yaakov. Torah tells us he dreams of a ladder, Mutzav Artsa, which was firmly established on the ground, the Rosho, and its head was Magia Hashemaima, and the head of the ladder reached heavenward, and Angels of God were going up and down the ladder. I'd like to interpret this dream on two levels. The Medrash Tanchuma tells us that Hashem showed Yaakov Sora, the guardian angel of Bavel, Ola the Yored, went up and came down. Modai, Ola the Yored. Yovan, Greece, Ola the Yored. Edom, Rome, Ola the Yored. Amalei So Hashem said to Yaakov, Yaakov, Loma Enato Oleh, why don't you ascend the ladder. So at that moment, Yaakov was afraid, and he said, Kishem, Shiyeshla Elu Yerida, just as they come down, and for all practical purposes, thereafter they are gone, Kach Ani, so too, Yeshli Yerida, I'm afraid that I too will be, come extinct, after I come down. Amalea Kodesh Baruch Hu, God assured him, Imato Oleh, in Yerida. If you go up, there will be no diminution. Now the truth of the matter is, world history has shown that all the great nations of the past, and especially they who persecuted Jews had this cycle. They ascended world history, made their mark, and then descended, and they are gone forever. The only exception to that rule is Klal Yisrael, that each time Lo'aleinu, there is a Yerida, each time there is some kind of a descent, what follows thereafter is even a greater aliyah. So on the first approach to this dream, you see the destiny of Klal Yisrael. I'd like to, however, suggest that there is a very personal, individualistic message from this sulam, from this ladder, and that is each and every individual at different times of their life is given from above that ladder and beckons each person ascend, but too often 
people for various reasons are afraid to ascend the ladder. And the message to each and every one of us is that the parsha is saying, take out Yaakov's name and put your own name in and understand that if you attempt and genuinely want an aliyah, a religious enhancement of your life, you who are coming to enhance, enrich, and add to the quality of your life, they assist you from above to accomplish this goal. And so, a few examples thereof. Interesting, the following conversation between the Chafetz Chaim and somebody else. The Chafetz Chaim asked a person, a gentleman, his name, and asked him, Are you a Kohen? And he said, No. And the Chafetz Chaim said, I am a Kohen. Do you want to know why I'm a Kohen? He didn't answer because the obvious, my father was a Kohen, and therefore I'm a Kohen. But what did he say? Because a few thousand years ago, Moshe Rabbeinu, right after the sin of the golden calf, called out, Mi Lashem Eli, unto whom is Hashem? Who is going to rally around the flag of Hashem? And because Shevet Levi responded at that time, they, if you forgive me, ascended the ladder, they seized the moment Hashem took the, quote, kahuna away from the Bechor and gave it to Shevet Levi. In addition, we find the significance of a moment. Take a look. The Gemara tells us in Nidorim, page Nun Amaralev, 50a, how first the Gemara describes the poverty of Rabbi Akiva and his wife, Rachel, and when he asks permission to go to the yeshiva, she tells him to go. And he goes and he studies for 12 years under Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua. And he's coming back after 12 years. And he overhears a conversation that's going on in the house between his wife and not a very good neighbor who says that your father did the right thing by banning you because and trying to dissuade you from this marriage. Firstly, your husband is not your equal. He comes from Gerim, from converts. And look, he left you as if you were a living widow for the last 12 years. Now listen to what Rachel, his wife, answers. If he would listen to me, and I quote, he would remain in the yeshiva another 12 years. Rabbi Akiva, who heard this from behind the door, said to himself, 
since she has given me permission, I will return back. He turned back without even going into the house and returned 12 years later with 24,000 students. And the rest, as they say, is history. That moment that he took, who would have known that he first became that great Rabbi Akiva, the father of Torah Shabal Peh, for all future generations, the incredible influence that he has, that his Talmudim became the teachers of all of Jewry, of Torah, all this came very possibly from his seizing the moment and not being satisfied with 12, but took the full 24 years to become the great Rabbi Akiva that he became. Take a look. The Gemara tells us in Bava Metziah, Daf Pevav Amebez, 86b, we had this at the beginning of Ayera, where Avram does his incredible hospitality. And, very simply, says Rabbi Huda Marav, whatever Avram did himself, HaKadosh Baruch Hu rewarded the Jewish people by he himself providing for them. Whatever Avram did via a shaliach, an intermediary, Hashem likewise did through an intermediary. And so... The Torah tells us Avram ran to the buckar to the cattle. Hashem himself gave the slav, the quails, to the Jewish people. Avram, Vayikach, Chema, Vecholav, he himself took the butter, the milk. Hashem himself literally rained down Lechem min Hashemayim, the mun. The water was yukach no ma'atmayim. The water came through a sholiach, and so too the water came to the Jewish people through the well. Now listen carefully. That this became the litmus test of Avram's chesed, very interesting, perhaps because it was his most challenging third day after the circumcision, exceedingly hot. But listen carefully. Had Avram Avinu taken care of the water himself, there never would have been the rolling stone, the Be'er of Miriam, that gave them their water. It's most probable that then there never would have been the sin of Moshe hitting the rock. Who knows? Moshe would have gone into Eretz Yisrael. Moshe would have overseen the building of the Beis HaMikdash. All of world history would have been different if not for that. The idea is, and we are not, God forbid, putting down of Ramavinu, but we're showing the significance of seizing the moment and making every moment count. And most important, as the rabbis tell us, mitzvah bol a mitzvah that comes your way, al don't put it off, but rather you should be the one to do it and do it in the very best possible way. The look in our day, take a look. How did the Beis Yaakov movement and schools for girls come about? It came about because one woman, Sora Schneer, heard a Musser Schmooz which turned her on, and as we find in the very beginning 
of the Shulchan Aruch, literally within the first se'if, the first paragraph of Simon Aleph, the Ramor writes, One should not be ashamed or embarrassed before others, who will scorn and make fun of him. You, you're on that level to accept this halacha, to accept this chumrah, that people will unfortunately try to discourage a person from their individual growth. People are afraid to get on the personal ladder of growth. They're afraid they might fail. So I have to tell you, once again, and even if you fail, just the attempt itself is so worthwhile for the person's character development. So social pressures and other pressures should not stand in the way. This is a very important lesson that the Torah is teaching us at the beginning of Parshas Vayetze. Each person has their individual ladder, individual ladders that Hashem sends their way. Stop. Ask yourself not only what opportunities you might have lost, but now rectify them by being on the look for, please God, the many opportunities He sends our ways. Shabbat Shalom to all.
J.M. in the A.M. Not bad, huh? <laughs> Cantor Yankee Lemmer with Mim Komchoff. The album, It Is Shabbos. Just amazing. Friday morning, it's J.M. in the A.M. on this era of Shabbos. Parshas by Yate. Candle lighting at 417 on this era of Shabbos. 417. Uh, coming up at 9 o'clock this morning, it's um, Naomi Nachman and Mazel Tov to Naomi on the brand new book. Brand new book is called Perfect Flavors. We wish her a mazal tov on the book. Um, Naomi Nachman from Kosher Fest. Kosher Fest was earlier this week. She did a great show from there. Um, so the entire thing is coming up right after JM and the AM on table for two between 9 and 10 o'clock. So Naomi's visit to Kosher Fest, sponsored by kosher.com. It is coming up uh, here on the Nahum Siegel Network. After that, the Erev Shabbos show is sponsored by our friends at Kedem. Erev Shabbos Music Mix, sponsored by our friends at Kedem. Uh, you have uh, the video blog, Parshas Vayetze, Harry Rothenberg, coming up at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. That's tomorrow night starting at uh, 9 p.m. And uh, Sunday morning, it's uh, Matis, of course, with uh, JM Sunday coming up uh, Sunday between 7 and 9 a.m. right here. On the Nachum Siegel Network. Tuesday, we're up at Yeshiva University. The uh, banner raising for the Skyline Conference Championship of 2018. Mazal Tov to Coach Elliot Steinmetz, the entire team, and all of Yeshiva University on this historic occasion. Looking forward to that. Thursday is Thanksgiving. We'll be here. Friday, we'll be here with the weekly update and more. 
So a great week ahead coming up. Make sure to be tuned in all through the week uh, at JM in the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. You'll be glad that you did. Uh, more coming up here on a JM in the AM Friday morning with Mordechai Ben David. I 
J.M. and the A.M., there it is. Shabbos with the Werdigers. Yismechu b'malachusachah. Friday morning, hour of Shabbos. Thanks for tuning in to J.M. and the A.M. Reminder, Mark Weissman is going to be uh, speaking uh, instead of uh, Dr. Zuroff tomorrow night at the Talmud Torah of Flatbush. Starts at 8.15. They have an amazing lecture series, and uh, they start 8.15 tomorrow night, 1305 Coney Island Avenue. Between avenues, um, uh, J and, uh, between avenues, let me get this right, I and J, right? I think it's I and J. Wait a second. Let me think for a second. Yeah, isn't it between I and J? Yeah, I and J in Brooklyn, New York. So check out the uh, amazing uh, Talmud Torah of Flatbush, 1305 Coney Island Avenue. Uh, like I say, they have an amazing lecture series each year, and this year is no exception. That is for sure. And um, again, a reminder, we are here between uh, 6 and 9 a.m. Monday through Friday, including Thanksgiving and next weekend, uh, Friday with the weekly update of more, so make sure to be tuned in. And um, uh, over the weekend, make sure to be tuned into all of our great programming. Naomi Nachman's coming up next with the Kosher Fest edition of Table for Two, sponsored by kosher.com. Kedem presents our Erev Shabbos show with uh, Mark Zamek at 10 a.m., Erev Shabbos music mix all through the day. Uh, Sunday, it's JM Sunday with Matis. On um, Saturday night, it's Saturday night Siegel. Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. So plenty to tune into and plenty to enjoy with the Nahum Siegel Network all weekend long. Time to say good Shabbos. Journeys at JM in the AM. Spend a day together with the whole
Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine. Man and his creator, it's a very special sign. Your candles will be burning, they'll fill your home with light. Singing songs of Shabbos, well into the night. So throw away your hammer, there's nothing left to do. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSegal.com, on the NachumSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Does it for an amazing Friday and a great week. Thank you, everybody. Naomi Nachman's next Arab Shabbos show brought to you by Kedem coming up between 10 and 1. And of course, the Arab Shabbos music mix brought to you by Kedem all day long. Naomi is uh, quote-unquote live from Kosher Fest, a show that she did from Kosher Fest earlier this week, sponsored by Kosher.com. Have a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend, and thank you so much for tuning in. Tom Monday, Nachum Segal, reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.